Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership podcast. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Paul Brown who's the author of this book, The Invisible Divides, or Invisible Divides, co-author I should say with Natalie Williams who's been on this podcast before. Um, Paul joined City Hope Church 29 years ago uh, and then joined the staff team as an evangelist in 1994. His heart and focus, the passion of his life is reaching out to the local community, um, but didn't grow up going to church. He first walked into church as a 25-year-old when he was a bricklayer, and then became church staff. So I'm quite interested to know which is easier, or how you found the difference <laughs> between the two of them. Paul is friends with Susie Kennedy, who's also appeared on this podcast. She's appeared in several movies, but Paul himself, his latest movie, uh, was BAFTA nominated. Uh, check out Jawbone on Amazon if you want to spot a familiar face as the vicars at one of, in one of the scenes there. Um, Paul's also going to be running a conference on evangelism in October, which we're going to be talking more about. Paul, it's really good to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for taking time to be with us. No, it's great to be here, Jez. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. Ah, great. So tell us a bit about why you wrote Invisible Divides um, and some of the yeah, some of the, the heart behind it. Well, it came about when I was, I was actually preaching in the church Natalie was on staff of down in Hastings. And... Um, she was ferrying me between two sites. They, they have a, there are multiple sites, and I was preached at their main site, and then I was being driven over to Bexhill. And on that journey, she sort of floated the idea of writing a book. And her her thoughts and her her titles, her chapter titles, really sort of resonated with me. I would be, I'd been thinking about a similar thing in the past. And some years before, somebody prophesied to me I'd be writing a book about class. And uh, so when she said, do you fancy doing it? I didn't hesitate. I said, yeah, I'd love to. I remember hearing you speak. I think I said earlier when we, we, we chatted a few weeks ago, I remember hearing you speak about this, the subject that I guess formed part of the basis for Invisible Divides years ago at an evangelist summit that I think Adrian Holloway put on. So this has been a, a theme that you've obviously been living with and passionate about for a while. Um, the book starts with the idea of what you call the missing class, that there's a, a whole kind of group of society that you f- felt or feel is missing or overlooked by the church. Do you want to just tell us a bit about um, what you mean by the missing class in churches? Well, I think uh, it's a difficult one to generalise hugely across the nation. But my experience is that the dominant culture of UK church is a middle class one. And so, so and that doesn't mean working class people don't become Christians. I'm, I'm, and I'm living proof of that. But so often it's a, it's a cultural disconnect that causes people not to feel part of the church body. So often we can see people saved and they drift away and we think, oh, they haven't, they're not committed or were they really saved? Or, you know, there's all questions, but you think, could it be that culturally they just didn't feel at home? And that really was aspects, we, we, the aspects of that we've explored in the book, you know. We, we looked at different things like how different classes do hospitality our attitudes towards money and finance, our attitudes to uh, authorities even, and, and all those things which are so deep in, within us, we don't see that they're a cult. You know, if, if, the do- if you're part of the dominant culture, you won't know that there is a culture. 
So that, that's the sort of things we explore. And because those divides are invisible, we wanted to make them visible. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the book. And I, th I think I said to you, it's the kind of book I'm going to buy and make sure everyone in the leadership team reads. And certainly for anyone who's planting churches, just understand, it's just understanding the different backgrounds that people come from. And like you said then, when you're part of a majority culture, you don't recognise it. And perhaps that is part of the problem, um, that there are majority predominant cultures or maybe certain values or aspects of middle classness has meant that those people have been given more authority and responsibility more early in church life. Was that one of your observations coming into church and just some of the, the obstacles and challenges to getting noticed and known and heard, given a voice, that sort of thing? We, we, make, we all make value judgments almost instantly on how people appear, how they look, how they dress, how they cut their hair, their accent. All of those things are very, they're almost subconscious cues and and we make a judgment on someone. Where are they are they fit for leadership almost on the clothes they wear and their accent? And I think we need, we've got to break that down. We've got to see that there are, for example, leadership there's leadership material across the board. You don't have to have come from a, a, a nice middle class family and gone and got your degree at university and you know work work through middle management before you get to church leadership, for example. Absolutely. So you're, I mean, you're obviously very good at uh, noticing those divides and crossing those divides yourself. A lot of your work over the past 30 years on church staff has been involved in reaching out to the community. So I'd love to, just to hear some of your wisdom, observations and lessons generally when it comes to church, leadership, evangelism, um, all of that and the community trying to engage with people. It's a big subject. Where do you want to go with that? Well, uh, I mean, uh, I suppose part, part of who I am, it, it means I, I enjoy mixing with people. I enjoy, you know, I, I guess I'm an extrovert in that sense. I'm energised by a, going to a party. I'm energised by going down the pub and, be, and hanging out with people, regardless of their background or, or culture or class. Um, so, and I think that was one of the reasons I was taken on to the staff team all those years ago, was to, to reach our community. And Bermondsey and surrounding area then was was staunchly working class. I mean, with the, the gentrification of London as a whole, you know, the, the, the demographics changed here. But there's still a strong working class community, a strong, proud, you know, who have a so strong sense of um, place. You know, they identify with the place. Um, and, and I've sought to be part of that. I've, I've actively chosen to, to go to the same pubs, to go to the same calves to you know I've been a I've been a school governor local primary primary schools are good local hubs they tend their catchment area tends to be small so get into the local primary schools I was a uh, trustee of the local amateur boxing club for a number of years you know which opened up a whole new subculture if you like um, but I felt I felt comfortable there I, like I say I was energized there and and it was a context to communicate the gospel which was great you know we, we run kids club for years here. You know that in, in the 90s and early 2000s, the, the, the whole kids club based on Bill Wilson in New York really um, mushroomed in the UK. And we were, we were one of the earlier pioneers of that ministry. And I, I loved it. I loved me, you know, preach, preaching the gospel to them kids in that context, but also meeting the families. It opened up homes. 
I made genuine friends um, in that way. Uh, just just by going around people's homes, you know, following up. We, we we had about 150, sometimes up to 200 kids on a Saturday kids club. We visited over 650 kids in their home every week. As, so that's a huge ministry, wow. which connect, which plants you into your community. And the vast majority of those were sort of you you would call middle uh, working class, sorry, working class kids and working class families. Yeah, I didn't realise you were a big kids clubber as well. I I also am a, a kids club um, fan. I first that's how I got involved in church ministry. I came on staff to to lead the kids club that the church was running, and so spent the first five years of church staff life like you visiting the estates and getting to know families. And you're right, kids club was amazing at giving us permission to knock on someone's door and develop a relationship with the family, wasn't it? Yes, totally. Yeah, I, I, I love those times. Sometimes want to resurrect them again. I don't know if I'm too yeah. old for it now. I know. I, yeah, I don't think there's been anything since then that's, that's really helped us engage with that many families uh, in a relational way. It's quite non-threatening and easy to do. Is there anything you've seen since then that has been a really useful tool for you in helping people connect with and engage with families and people outside of church life? What are some of the kind of other strategies over the years that you think, oh, that's been really good for a while. That was good. That was good. I mean, as a, as a church, we, we've got uh, an effective uh, ministry that's grown really around our CAP and food bank um, outreach, but, but it's, developed, it's developed and grown. It's not just handouts of food. It's not just supporting people to get out of debt, although those things are sadly really important today. But there's a there's a ministry grown around that, so we would do you know social events. There's regular meals and fun things, you know, from cabaret nights to women's meals and things like that. So so for us at the moment, that's where I would say that's where we're connecting with the working class community the most. Slightly more niche, slightly more marginalised. I mean, obviously, working class doesn't by any means equal poverty. And we have to be very aware of that as well. There's a big assumption that, you know, oh, somebody lives on a, a council estate, they must be poor, far from it, you know. So, so but, but in terms of ministry, I think that's where, our, as a church focus, that's where uh, a lot of it is. Personally, because I've been here so long, I can just go for a walk. I walk down to the local shops and I, I, know, I know shopkeepers, I know market stall holders I, I know people I walk past in the street because I've been here, been around and I think there's a there's a big strength in staying in one place for a long time it's not for everyone but meeting people chatting to people and those, all those all those things connect and overlap even going back to the days of kids club when we were doing kids club we were also running a seniors group and a youth you know there was a youth group for them to go on to toddler groups and baby groups but you're meeting the whole family when you're going to their home and doing the visits. So you can say, oh, your, your nan only lives around the corner. Well, why don't she come to the seniors group? You know, or oh, you've got an older brother. Well, we do do a youth group on a Thursday night or whatever it may be. Can you see? So there's, a, there's a, a, almost a cradle to grave mission going on. Yeah. And, and once, they know who, once they know who you are, you almost don't need to 
force a gospel conversation because they know where to find you should they want to find out more. <laughs> I remember I was in I was in a pub I was in a pub with one of my sons um, just as lockdown was sort of coming to an end and pubs were opening up again, and we'd had a quiet drink in the corner and I knew the landlady a little bit, and as we were were leaving, she said to me, "It's really interesting." She said to me, "I never knew you were a pastor." And I said, well, that's because I never told you. And, but then she said, and, and, and I'm literally about to leave the pub. Then she said, well, how did that come about then? So at that point, I stood with my back to the bar and the, the, she was with about, a, I don't know, eight or ten friends. And I stood in this pub at about 10.30, quarter to 11, just before closing time, and told this group of people how this came about. Basically told them my salvation story and the whole bit, you know, which, and that was just a very natural thing. It wasn't, you know, you'd never go into the pub and say, excuse me, everyone, let me just tell you my testimony of how I became a Christian. That's not going to work, is it? But it was just out of a conversation and that conversation came from previous conversations where we'd never talked about Jesus because, not that I'm scared to do it, because it never came up. I mean, interestingly, just recently, last week, um, my, my wife's not well at the moment and um, she, we, we had to call a, an ambulance, actually. She, she, she collapsed indoors, so I call, had to call an ambulance. I mean, she's fine now. Um, um, and, and the ambulance turned up contrary to, to what you expect. They were there within 10 minutes. Yeah, so, so there's two paramedics and a trainee. So there's three people in, come into my home and they're, they're sort of helping, helping my wife, phoning the hospital, blah, blah. But they were there, it turned out, for, for a couple of hours. Well, as she, as she was feeling better after, you know, after collapsing, she's, she's coming back into the room, if you like, and then we're just chatting to them. And they, they asked, asked her what she did for a job, and she's a TA in a local primary school. And, I mean, she's got a phenomenal ministry there. That's another subject, almost, for you, I could talk about. And then they said, oh, what do you do for a job? So I said, oh, I helped to pastor a local church. And then there was, it was like, oh, how did that come about? Same question, really. How did that happen? How did you get into that? So we both were able just to talk through our salvation stories, you know. Um, and, and even and one, of, one of them said, can you recommend a book for me to read? So I said, well, I've got this book called Invisible Divides, which I co-wrote. <laughs> So, but all this came about as a very natural conversation, even, and even actually, we, we ended up having been driven to the to hospital to St Thomas's um, because because of the condition she's got. They wanted to take her in, and the, all through the journey, they're sort of quizzing us about church and Jesus and our relationship with God and all that. You know, so it's normal life, but we've got to take those opportunities. And in part, I can see why people ask you, like, how did that come about? Because you're not the stereotypical vicar, are you? You're not. And there's that surprise element like, oh, you don't seem to fit the box in my head of what I thought a religious vicar is supposed to be. Um, and so I can see how that happens. You mentioned, you know, you're in the pub with your back to the, the bar and just talking with these ladies. And you said, I didn't stand up and just start telling everyone, here's my testimony. And you waited to be asked. But there, there obviously was a, there is a school of thought that says 
street preaching, standing in a crowded room, gathering people's attention, heralding a message is a really important and perhaps even lost aspect of evangelism. And I, and I guess even in what you're starting to talk about, you're, you're kind of touching on things that are really, I don't know, I'm wrestling with a lot at the moment because the more I talk to my friends, the sadder I'm getting at the state of their lostness. They don't know they're lost. They're, they're very nice, moral, religious people, but they're not, they're lost. And the sadness is they're not asking those questions. And so I'm not getting opportunities to talk about Jesus with them as much as I'd like to. And so you, I kind of feel like I'm living in this like constant tension of frustration between I want to be a friend to these people and wait for them to ask me. But they're not asking me and that's killing me. I want to tell them and maybe I should just stand on a street corner and start shouting at people. So help me and help us in the church, I guess, with those sorts of tensions that we're wrestling with. I've done, I've done that in the past. I've stood on street corners many a time and preached Jesus and I've loved it. Oh, well, tell us about that then. Yeah, you've loved it. Most people would feel would run a mile. I remember doing it once. Somebody I knew came, walked past and they thought I must have been selling timeshare or something because they didn't even know I was a Christian at the time. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, maybe, time, maybe the times have moved on. I'm not saying we should never do it, but it comes... And I've seen people, uh, you know, up in the West End particularly, but even locally doing street preaching, it just comes across, if you're not careful, as just very shouty and accusatory. And, you know, you, you are sinners, you need to turn to Jesus. Now, it's all true, but I think we, we sadly, society's further back now. And I think we've, first of all, I, I, we should, I believe we should connect and not confront wherever possible. So and there's ways of connecting, and if you're doing public, if you're doing public street preaching, I I think you should. Again, this is my personal view. There'd be others who are gifted to stand up and preach a three point sermon on the street, and they'll probably see scores of people responding. But to connect in some way, to so, so, you know, if you've got a good singers, get the, get the songs going, have a bit of banter. Me and me and a friend of mine, I don't know if you've ever had Steph Liston on on here at all but yeah, yeah. Me, me and Steph we go back a long way and we used to do a little thing where as a little double act we would sort of start getting the crowd say say we'd just say listen we would like you to we would just like one minute of your time 60 seconds of your time and no more um, but we'd sp- spend about five minutes bantering this up because my friend is going to tell you his life story in just 60 seconds I've got a timer here we're going to set the timer going and he's going to tell his story and at 60 seconds I will stop him and you can walk away and we developed this art of succinctly telling our personal story with a gospel outline in 60 seconds and so that was just a little street thing to communicate but you could gather a little crowd like that you, and, and some of the kids' club ploys on the street, you know, used to use a little bit of juggling or little bits of magic tricks, anything to gather a little, a small crowd. And then I guess I love that, I love that phrase that we want to connect, not confront. And because once having gathered a crowd, you're, you'd say, actually, because people are further back in their understanding of God and the gospel than they used to be, perhaps, the, the aim actually is to establish some level of human connection with the people rather than presenting a confrontational gospel is that what you're saying yeah i think so and you know we should all be kind you know it's not the gospel's wonderful good news isn't it that's what it is 
So, but, but, and we don't have to earn the right to communicate it, but we sometimes have to earn the right for them to listen. So I think there's no, there's no harm in connecting. And, and whether that is over a period of time, you know, living in the same place for 29 years like, like I've done, or, or it's the first time you've met someone, but you can still look to connect, you know, very practically look, trying to find that point of connection. And I've, and I've always done that, you know, where if someone's from a different part of the country, um, you recognise an accent, I'd, I would always say, you know, I'd ask where they've been because in the, back in the day I used to, I've travelled the country, I've been to most towns for football, right? I've visited most, most uh, football clubs in the first two divisions probably. But, but that, that was a connection point. So if, you, if you've heard an accent from someone, say, oh, you're from Newcastle. Yeah, I've been to Newcastle, I've, you know. Those little things of connecting, especially when someone's away from home, they, they help. You know, for people from other nations, if you've visited, you know, I always ask where they're from. I've been to Nigeria a few times and I've been, I've been to some obscure countries like Uzbekistan and I've been to Ukraine, I've been to Serbia, all these places. Mo- not glamorous, it's mostly for ministry and stuff like that. But if you're speaking to someone who's an Uzbek in London and you say, oh, I've been to Uzbekistan, there's a connection straight away. You know, people hang on to that. You think, oh, I've got someone who understands me or understands my culture or whatever, even if you don't. <laughs> so, so looking to connect, I think, is, is really important. You know, if you've, got a, if you've got a baby in the pram, maybe that's why we had five kids. If you're walking down the street with a baby in the pram, but babies are magnets for people. Oh, how old is he? And all of that. It's a connection. That's mm, really good. Uh, knowing that we might talk about evangelism, when people hear the, con- the word evangelism used, they're often picturing confrontational styles of evangelism that they find really off-putting. So I, and I know there are you know, globally respected, popular evangelists, some I've seen on YouTube, who, who their approach to evangelism is very much, let me tell you the gospel, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, but you need a saviour. And you think, well, that sounds different from Jesus who said repent, but it wasn't repent because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. It was repent because the kingdom's here. Like there's something really yes. good to, to change yeah. everything because let me tell you about this really good thing that's so good you're going to need to upend your entire life for this. And that's a very different approach from I think how many of us will w- become Christians and then start to think about evangelism, which is I need to convince them that they're, they're bad people and they need a saviour. I think, well, that doesn't sound like Jesus. No, you're right. And I think we, it developed over the years. And I think it may have worked when people had an understanding of what sin was. Um, you know, they had a... They, they had a sort of a, a cultural understanding of Christianity, even, but now that that's gone. You know, people sin is a people. If people people think of sin, they may think of murder, something as obvious as that, but not much more. Um, so we have to, we, like we said, we do start further back. And I, and I think my wife has a catchphrase, which is always a challenge to me, and she says. We must stop for the one, right? Stop for the one and be kind. So, and she, so she's always praying, who is the one today? And whether that's, she works in a primary school, whether that's one of the kids, whether it's one of the staff or the parents, whether it's someone on the walk to school, she's saying, Lord, who is the one today? You know, and, and so it could be, I mean, it could be a lady sat on a, 
bench in the park. It could be somebody she walks past. I mean, we were on a bus together. We, we're in central London, so we get buses around here. Um, we, we, were get, we got on a bus and a, and a mum got on the bus and she was holding a child. But the child wasn't a baby. The child was about five years old. But she was holding him like a baby. He was, and it turned out he was quite ill. And she was taking him to a hospital. He'd had a, uh, an allergic reaction to something. It's a crowded bus and it was a bit awkward because this woman was sort of edging through and people were getting the ump with her a little bit. And so my wife just leant across and said, oh, what's, what's the matter with your son? And she, that's how we found out he had this anaphylactic response. So she just simply said, would you mind if I prayed for you? And the woman said, oh, yes, please, you know. So, so just simply on a bus, and she did no more than that. She didn't swap details with her, but she just prayed a, a Jesus prayer that he would, in his grace and in his mercy, that he would heal her son. And that was, that was it. But that was just a little stopping for the one moment. Yeah, I love that as a, just a, as a, as a phrase to take. Um, stop for the one. Who's the one that I'm going to come across today? And that, I mean, that forces me to break out of my, uh, maybe maybe it's a middle class thing, I don't know. Maybe it's an extrovert thing. Maybe we shouldn't put labels on it. But it forces me to stop out of my privatisation. I'm, like, I'm just going to hide away and keep myself to myself, which seems to me, at least in my own heart, seems to be part of the, the problem with evangelism, because I, I would love to share the gospel with people, but I'd also just love a quiet life. <laughs> yes. Yes, life's easier that way, ain't it? But there's more adventure if you're thinking, who am I going to stop for today? Yeah. And I think this counteracts some of that, which isn't wrong at all. You know that sort of tr that treasure, so-called treasure hunting thing where you're, you're actively seeking God for spiritual gifts to go and go out to people. Fantastic. I mean, all, more of it, Lord. But also let's, let's seek, um, you know, not just, not just the spiritual gifts. Let's seek the fruit of the Spirit. And go and live that before people. Let's show some kindness and some love and some joy and some peace before people. Use, use the fruit that is yeah. in us evangelistically. So it doesn't matter if you haven't got a word of knowledge for someone. You know, the lady in the red dress who's walking a poodle down the road and I believe. Wonderful. But you may not have that every time but you can go and be kind to that person who's walking down the road if, you, if there's a context to do that yeah. and we can all do that whether we're introverts extroverts working class or middle class we can go and be kind yeah i love that emphasis on the fruit of the spirit rather than the gifts of the spirit when it comes to evangelism that's brilliant i love that <laughs> there you go and we can all do that can't we <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So um, we've got more questions around that, but just tell me some of your observations as someone who's then who's been in ministry for almost thirty years on church staff. Um, what? How do you think the church has changed in its attitude towards evangelism per se? And what are some encouragements or some concerns that you might have? I think I think we've struggled to keep up with the world around us. So when I first became a Christian in 1984, you know, like you said, a 25-year-old bricklayer walked into a church with no Christian background at all. I, even I, still had a sort of a, a vague 
understanding of of God and Jesus. You know, there there was a vague Christian awareness in me because it was part of the culture. So, and, and I think the church then, and the church I grew up in over the next sort of decade or so, which was doing stuff like street preaching and going around knocking on people's doors and all the stuff, open air Christian proclamation. There was some success in that because I think people got it a little bit. They may not even have liked it, but they got it. Now, to, now so back then, if you, put, to, you, if you were writing a CV, you could put on your CV, committed Christian. And that, what that tended to say was, well, this person's going to be honest, upright and hardworking. No one would put committed Christian on a CV now because most people just think, well, that means they're a homophobe and not much else. A bigot, an extremist. It's a negative response. So and we've got to break those barriers as well, which is why relationship building is important and connecting is important. But, so, so that's a change. But I've done, And I think the church is playing catch up a little bit. I mean, there's, there'll be loads of exceptions and loads of people who read the, read the sort of times and understand the times. But, we, but we've got to sort of move with that. So when I become a Christian as well, and those, again, those formative years, there were recognised, in our movement, there were recognised evangelists. People, and, and I, remember, I remember going to a church near where we were, and there was a guy there who became a, a good friend, a fellow called Mike Hewitt, who was a senior church leader, recognised evangelists, and there were others who I got to know as well, um, who, who was influential. You know, they, I mean, I, I chose to become his friend. I think I stalked him a little bit. I thought, I want, will you come round to my house for dinner? Will you teach me? I wanted to learn from him. Um, I don't, and, and um, maybe it's because of the way our, our churches, our movement of churches has gone, it's, you know, it's, gone into sort of different groupings now. But I don't see, hear those loud voices. Adrian Holloway, who you mentioned earlier, who put on the Evangelist Summits, a big influence on my life and many others. Those voices, I don't think, are as loud as they were. And, and, and so is that because we don't honour the gift of the evangelist as much? I don't think it's intentional. It won't be intentional. But I think we've just moved away. There's slightly indefinable things. But, I've, I've, you know, as you look over, you've been in, like you say, ministry nearly 30 years and you look over a three-decade span and you think, yeah, things have definitely changed a lot. Um, I would like to kind of just get your raw thoughts then on why you, th- why, I mean, yeah, they don't have to, it's not like the authoritative word on the matter, so it's just spitballing. Why do you think that's changed? That there aren't those loud voices who are maybe they're in the churches, but they're not given the platform. What if we're not if we're not highlighting or celebrating the evangelists enough? What are we highlighting or celebrating? Maybe a bit too much. What are some of your I, I, I think again, it's generalising, isn't it? As a, as a movement, I think we've always there's always been a strong emphasis on the word of God and the whole the role of pastor teacher is probably aspired to more than any other. Um, maybe. <laughs> or certainly celebrated more than any other. You know, to, to, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great preacher. She's a great preacher. But we don't, 
so much, I believe, and people could shoot me down in flames. They could watch this and start writing to you. Don't give them my email. They'll write to you. They, they could, you know, people could say, no, that's not true. There's great evangelists working, working in our church. Hallelujah. But I, I, I don't, I genuinely don't see it. The, the higher profile names across a movement, I don't see them as much. Things have moved on as well. So we, we, are, we are part of uh, a group of churches called Catalyst, which you probably know of. There's a, lot of. there's a lot of overseas mission, which is celebrated and done effective. Great people you know, going to other nations for the gospel's sake. So I'm not saying it's they're not there, but that things have definitely changed and definitely shifted. Mm. Certainly locally, yeah, and it may be, it may be the culture's changed so much. So um, almost like you're saying about how people's statement committed Christian would be received. It seems to me that when it comes to evangelism, our approach is much more equipping the saints to understand how to talk about and think about divisive issues. <laughs> you know. Which isn't actually how to engage with people. It's how to bolster yourself and reassure yourself you're not a homophobe. You just hold to a traditional understanding of marriage. You know, so it's like a reassure the saints because they're a little bit nervous and hopefully give them some language to talk to their friends about this. But even that, it's a it's an issues based approach to evangelism rather than even a gospel based approach to evangelism would you say yeah no i think you're right i think that that whole you know apologetics thing we've got to wrestle with these big cultural shifts and we've got to understand we've got to be able to speak into that my experience is most people are not that bothered (laughs) they're not bothered but they are bothered that you care and that you're kind going back to the fruit of the spirit they are bothered that you show some love you know, I think, which brings it right down. You don't have to be an academic. You know, again, the, the, the role models, uh, and there are some great role models, big, higher profile apologists. So you think, wow, I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. But most of us can't, you know, you know they're all, half of them seem to be based in Oxford, having done university there. Wonderful yeah. stuff. And they're a provocation to us. And I read these people and listen to these people. But... On our day-to-day life, you know, when we're, we're walking the kids to school or coming back from Tesco's or going to the pub or the gym or wherever we're going, to show a bit of love and kindness and yeah. empathy. Yeah. I mean, because my, my concern, and I, I picked this up early on to be, being a Christian, I think my, my, my wife Amy told me off one day because... She noticed with my family, none of whom are Christians, instead of talking to them about Jesus, I would always try to default to talking to them about ethics and show them my distinctiveness. And so I remember having a conversation with my mum once, who's, you know, a child of the the 60s and 70s, about abortion. And and I ended up just saying something provocative, like, oh, so you believe it's okay to murder babies? And now I look at that and I die and I cringe at that insensitivity but at the time I remember Amy just telling me off and saying what are you doing our message is about Jesus it's not about abortion (laughs) and I I, even now like fast forward that was 20 years ago now I've obviously completely changed since then um of course but even now I feel I feel this up like anxiety and pressure that even when when I'm talking to my friends I can default towards talking to them about cultural issues and why it is that Christianity is wise and humane and good, that doesn't save anyone. That's not going to save anyone. 
And I just I feel that person is so challenging. And, and so your approach to the fruit of the spirit, kindness, I think is really good. My question is, how do you how do you go beyond that to actually telling them the essential news to, that will save them from a life and an eternal life separated from the father? Well, I think if, if you're in conversation with someone and, you know, and in relationship with someone, I mean, that relationship may only be five minutes old, but you, like I said, coming on that foundation of connecting and not confronting, um, you know, that our conversation should be full of grace, but seasoned with salt, if, you know, and the salt, that sort of the gospel that you know so so I'm happy to bring Jesus into the conversation I personally personally I like to keep it personal so it's, it's based on my testimony my story it's almost like I I wouldn't be here now talking to you if Jesus wasn't real if Jesus uh, and, and you know I, I, I'm not I'm not easily fooled I'm not going to I investigated this stuff about Jesus. When I first went to a church, I didn't just, it wasn't just glory, hallelujah. I was looking at the Bible. I was reading books that people lent me. I was speaking to people I began to make friends with because I was looking at this. And part of my testimony is, I say, I didn't know anything about Jesus. So I couldn't knock it without finding out. So that's why I began investigating. But I met Jesus. The more I investigated, the more I thought this stuff is real. And, and, and I liked him. I loved him. I thought he was fantastic. And that's why he's changed my life. Now, I'd include elements of this in my conversation. And, you know, even talking about that, that moment, that moment where I thought, if this stuff is real, I have to do something about it. And, and for me, I was laying in bed on my own. There was no one with me leading me in prayer. And I, I, I thought, I've got to pray. I've got to talk to Jesus seriously for the first time, you know. And I, and I said, Jesus, please forgive me for the things I've done wrong. And I named some of those things to him. You know, and I always say, I, and I'm not going to tell you those, what those things were. Um, and, and, but, and I also said, and I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. And, and obviously I meant it. And, and obviously that, and that's what I've done. And life's not been... A bed of roses. There's been some great ups and there's been some very difficult downs. You know, like I said, right right now, you could argue is, is, there's an element of down when my, my wife's going through cancer, um, but but it's okay because Jesus is with us. And I always say this to people: I'd rather go through the, the pain and difficulty of life with Jesus than without Him. And I, I would introduce that. That's just part of conversation with people. So it, it's, it's, it's a drawing alongside. It's a, together we're looking at Jesus. Yeah. It's not like it goes back to what we said earlier. We're not confronting them, you know, repent and be baptised, every one of you. Great word, great sermon. But it doesn't always have to be that. That's really good. And, and I like just the confidence in evangelism. We can sometimes, I think, display an anxiety towards... Um, well, an overemphasis on our responsibility 
to seal the deal like a salesman because we're going to have to report to head office later and we're going to have to stand before God and he's going to tell us how many deals did you secure today and so we can live we can approach our evangelism sometimes with that level of anxiety that's about sealing the deal and getting people to pray and telling them everything in one session and making sure they understand everything I remember, again I remember once walking with my sister's boyfriend at the time a new Christian making lots of mistakes and he asked me about my faith so I basically bored him for half an hour and took him from Genesis to Revelation so I thought I've got to tell him absolutely everything I can and he never asked me any follow-up questions and as far as I know never did any you know extra reading himself but we live in a society where people if, if they're interested they're going to go home and you put a little earworm in there they're going to go home and they're going to explore something for themselves because no one no one upends their entire life on the strength of one little conversation with someone do they very rarely I think you know we putting aside the sovereignty of God and all that, mate. But, you know, the Holy Spirit does work in... The Holy Spirit does work in power. And occasionally we see it happens instantly. But like you say, by and large, that, yeah. that it's, a, it's a step process. And that was certainly my story. It was yeah. a step process of investigating, looking at the believers. Do they match up with what they're saying? You know, I, I don't even think I, I thought that clearly, but that's what I was doing. I mean, it was the people, interesting, it was the people that was the initial hook for me when I first went into a church. For why are these people so nice? What do they want? Is what, that's what, what do they want? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was, an, that was the hook that caught me. And I think we've got to be aware of that as, as Christians. Why are they so nice? Not, not why are they so uptight about the fact I'm not married to my partner. You know, why are they so nice? Wow. I mean, I and just I love the verse. I just looked it up. That verse you quoted from Colossians four, verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Like that as an approach to evangelism is a lot more liberating, isn't it? Because you think I well, know my job here is to, you know, um, sorry, I've even forgotten, is to be gracious and to be seasoned with salt. Yeah, and. Um, and, you know, the early Christians didn't do too badly. Within a few centuries, the entire empire had exactly. been infiltrated by so many believers. They thought, well, we have to, we have to now acknowledge this because now the you know, political powers thought we'll curry favour with the Christians. That would never have happened in the, in the beginning. No. You know, the, the, the verse that I often go back to is, you know, is Acts chapter 8. After the, Stephen is martyred. And then it talks about that church in Jerusalem, which had experienced wonderful growth and the apostles were doing miracles and it was all glory, hallelujah, almost. I mean, there's a few arrests and that going on. But then persecution broke out with the beginning with Stephen, didn't it? And it says yeah. that church, that, that, those early believers were scattered through that persecution. And you think, that's just a phrase, right? scattered through persecution. You think, we're seeing unprecedented um, numbers of refugees spread across the world right now. You think, that pers- that, the, the result of that, you know, scattering is, is a similar thing. It's people put their possessions on their back, they grab their kids and they go. They've left home, job, family, church, school or whatever the equivalent was then, and they've just gone. And then it says, and wherever they went, they proclaimed the gospel. Think, oh, the gospel was so deep within them that even in the faith, even as a refugee, having lost everything, even their leaders, because it says the apostles remained in Jerusalem, everything's gone. Wherever they went, they preached the gospel. Think that. So, so 
great evangelism training, I guess, is get close to Jesus. You love him so much that wherever you go, you're just going to talk about him. Wow, that's so good. And I'm, so my, my brain goes as well. I think we're, we're familiar with the idea that migrant communities, when they move to a country, they often cling quite closely to signs and, and traditions of their culture of origin because that's such a big part of their identity. But for the early Christians, and if you follow what you're saying there, it's this idea that they didn't take with them their Jewishness. You know, of course they were Jews, but that was they had a lot of discussions about how how to you know the interface between Gentile living and Jew, Jewish living. But they didn't take that primarily with them. They took the gospel because they realised this is the thing that's primary. And I think at any good missionary, you enter a foreign culture and context and you can be tempted to bring with you the values of your home country or the values of your worldview and think, oh, no, in our country, we do marriage like this. Or in our country, we think this. But actually, the thing that we're to prize above everything is the gospel of Jesus. Um, that's what I take from what you're saying. I think that's really helpful and really inspiring. So um, so you, you, you talked about... So, so the next question... Or thing that we we talked about a few weeks ago on the phone. Now, do you think the church places too much emphasis on friendship evangelism, almost like we're talking about, um, and not enough emphasis on some of the uh, some of the more heralding type evangelists? Or what would be a language and a way that, that would help us think about evangelism in a post-COVID society? Well, I think post-COVID and post-Christian society. I mean, this is what we, that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? Um, I don't I don't see loads of friendly evangelism because people are people are fearful people are fearful of the the culture where you know you're reading reading the paper people losing their jobs because of their you know they declared their faith in some way at work um so I don't see much of that I mean, I mean there's got to be a place for for heralding the gospel proclaiming the gospel in a, in a in a way, whether it's on a platform or a street corner, but that's not for for everyone. You know, maybe that is, you know, for certain gifted evangelists, gifted in a certain way as well. Not every evangelist is gifted the same. Um, but we could, we're all called to do evangelism. I don't think. See, the, the the gift, the Ephesians four gifts, including evangelist, are there their gift of the person, right? I don't see clearly there's a gift of evangelism. It's what we do. So we don't say, oh, I haven't got that gift, so I don't, that's for someone else. That's what, that's what we do. We just, we, that's stopping for the one. That's talking about the one we love the most. That's telling people how wonderful Christ is. And, and in that, it may be, you know, repent and be baptised every one of you it may be that in that conversation but it goes back to what we were saying about connecting and not confronting I don't think there's enough of it in the church you know not many believers have been there at that moment where somebody becomes a Christian praying with them or encouraging them not many Christians have done that maybe we need to change that maybe we need to change our expectation ask for gifts of faith so I love that you. You've said to me else. Uh, you said to me previously, 
that we need to shift from having an emphasis on friendship evangelism to friendly evangelism, which you, we've been talking a lot about. Uh, why don't you unpack that for us? Explain what you mean by that. Well, I think as Christians, we have a high, <coughs> a high value on friendship, and rightly. But we then, then think, and I, I remember speaking to someone once, he says, you know, I've got my friends, my friendship circle, and it's in the church, I haven't got the time or the en- emotional energy to, to be friends with all these people who are not even Christians. And that's where, that's where I sort of like the phrase, and I didn't coin the phrase, but I like that friendly evangelism rather than friendship evangelism. Because as Christians, we set a high bar of friendship, but we can all be friendly. And that goes back to the fruit, really, of the spirit you know, joy and peace and kindness and self-control. It's just whoever we meet, whether it's a moment on the bus for, a, you know, a, a one-minute prayer or it's someone you're seeing every day at work, mm. be friendly. And, and I think in that context, as long as we're aware and we're sharp, we're looking for opportunities just to chat about Jesus. And that could start, you know, quite simply, I mean, it's almost a cliche when someone says to you, what did you do at the weekend? We'll talk about everything we did apart from, well, I was at church on Sunday and I, uh, this happened or that happened or, or, or whatever. You know, but, but talking about Christ in our lives in a normal way. You know, I, I, for me, it, it, <laughs> it seems to be the obvious thing. Do you, you think there's less of a, a sense of urgency among the church, or is it just that we're a bit scared, so we don't we don't actually want to bring it up because of the homophobia label? I, I think there is an element of that. I think there is a little bit of fear or reluctance, not it maybe not even fear, because of the, the response that we may get, and we're, we're possibly ill-equipped on that one. Um, it, it is a tough one. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just sort of trust. You almost trust God in a conversation. I mean, I've had conversations around, you know, homosexuality and some of the big things, you know, ethical things like abortion and stuff like that. Don't don't use a, the Bible as your basis of argument with that person, is my advice, because they don't see the Bible as the authority. You do, and that's great, because that gives you confidence, but don't, don't say, well, God says, or the Bible says, I think that's not... It's going to be counterproductive initially, even though it's true. And to be friends with people who are, who are different to you. Be, be friends with, you know, so, someone who's gay. Be friends with someone who's living a different life to you morally, different religion to you. But genuinely reach out to them. Be friendly if you can't be there. Friend, do you know what I'm saying? That's really good. I'd love to hear. I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'd love to hear any stories recently or historically that really inspired you and encouraged you. Things that God's done or you've seen God do as far as evangelism goes, and testimonies of people, you know, moving from very post-Christian to coming to faith. Any anything that comes to mind to encourage us? Um. Wow, you have put me on the spot. Um, there was a lady comparatively recently in our church within the last few months who came along to a church meeting with her sister. Her sister had become a Christian years before and she'd always 
she had nothing to do with it. Her, 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 her sister was the first believer in her family. And, and she brought her along to church. And I forget the context. She reluctantly came and met a couple of people she knew. Friendship again, friendly. Met a couple of people she knew from growing up on the estate locally. And one, and then she came on and off occasionally because she knew some people, but it, it was really resistant. And then it, I think my, my wife spoke to her and said, do you want to become a Christian? And again, it wasn't out of the blue. She'd spoke to her before. And she said, no, it's not for me. And she simply said, why not? And this woman thought for a short while and thought, yeah, why not? I said, actually, OK, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and, and she did it. We baptised her just after Christmas. Um, and, and she's wonderful because she's an, she's an advocate. She's a, a trade union rep of note. You know, she'll be on national platforms and things like that. She is an advocate and she will speak up, mate. She's, she takes no prisoners in her style, you know. A, ve a very able, very capable. But it's the, the Holy Spirit broke into her life. And that, for her, the question, why not, was the door opening for her. Yeah, why not? Um, I mean, that was off the top of my head. I'm sure there'd be... No, that's great. It's, it's, really, it's just always really encouraging when you hear... You know, these are people. These, are, you know, when we think about evangelism, we do think about this is an issue. Again, we can be in danger. Like something I must do, delivering some message to some some household. Because actually, this isn't about that. This is about individual human souls coming face to face, soul to soul, with God in the gospel and discovering the joy of salvation. Like again, we've been Christians for years, so we just forget how wonderful it is to wake up every day and know I'm at peace with God. He loves me. And my job every day is to remind myself that he loves me because, you know, everything reminds, feels like within me that he doesn't. But no, he loves me and he sent his son for me. That's the, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? And, and you see people and you feel so sad for them because, because they haven't got Christ. And that there's, there's all the horrible issues of life that people go through and some terrible things happen to them. And, and we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be surprised that they respond I don't know, respond by turning to drink or drugs or or it affects their mental health to such a place that they just can't cope anymore because they haven't got Christ with them. You know, it's bad enough when we have got Christ, you know. But for, so for those around us who haven't got him, you think, man, how do you survive? How do you get on in life? Yeah. You know, I, honestly, I feel for him. Yeah, unless you feel for him, you want to share them. I mean, that's... Matthew 9, isn't it? Jesus saw the crowds, was filled with compassion because he could see that they were like sheep without a shepherd. It was, it was the compassion. And I think it's Glenn Scrivener who says that word compassion, that deep inner moving of the bowels or the stomach, is, <laughs> is only ever used of Jesus's emotional life. It, but it's just a deep kind of inner groaning and concern for people. Um, that's what prompted him and provoked him to want to share. And I think sometimes we act out of duty rather than compassion and people can see through that because they just think, oh, you're just trying to seal a deal. You've been told to do this. Um, well, Paul, why don't you tell us a bit about what you're doing in the autumn term to help fly the flag again and raise the voice again of the evangelist? Yeah, on, on Saturday, October the 14th, um, we at City Hope Church in, 
in Bermondsey in London, we're going to host an Evangelist's Day, an, evangelist, or an evangelism conference. I haven't even got a title for it yet, um, but I've got the speakers. <laughs> so um, really going over some of the stuff that we've talked about today um, and more, and I've got a varied selection of people who have been around a while. So some, some you will know of, uh, Angela Kem is known to, to many people. Angela's going to be one of our main speakers. Um, and a guy called Akhtar Shah. Akhtar was in, in a local church ministry for a, a number of years in southwest London. He's now moved into some ministries of his own. Great, a great evangelist, great a caring sort of person. He was a social worker by trade for a while. Aktar's going to be speaking. Um, and, a, a girl, and a good friend of mine, Jill Crono. Jill's a GP, a doctor. Um, and Jill is fantastic, right? So she, for, I've, known, I've known her since I was a new Christian and we, we've been on some adventures together with the gospel. Um, I remember going to one estate with a, and we got to one front, one front door on the balcony of this estate and the door had been smashed in and there was a huge pool of blood on the landing outside. And I'm thinking, oh, what are we going to do now? And before I could say anything, she's walked in saying, hello, is anybody in here? <laughs> Mate. But she, she's bold. She's bold with the gospel. She's, and she epitomises all that stuff we were talking about in terms of being kind, drawn alongside whether it's in her GP surgery or she volunteers um, at her local hospital uh, to go into A&E just to chat to people who are sitting there for hours. That, wow. That's what she does in her spare time. I mean, she, and in, in the past, she's been, she's been to all over the world. She's been to India, China, various parts of Africa with the gospel. So Jill is also one of the speakers, and I'll put myself in there as well because I'm hosting it, so I'm going to say some things as well. So there's four, four speakers. There may be some others joining us. I'm, I'm hoping my wife can come and talk about her ministry. Um, in, in, she, she works in local primary school and has transformed the school um, with the gospel. I mean, she's, she's initiated prayer. So there's a staff prayer meeting once a week in there. But there, there was a moment a number of years ago when um, one of the classes were particularly complicated, lots of personalities, and they clashed a lot. And it was all, they were always getting into trouble. And the head teacher asked, said, what should, what should we do with this? She, she's a TA, right? She's not a qualified teacher at all. And she said, why don't you start each day with prayer and say to the kids, yesterday is gone. Today is a new day. Let's look forward and let's pray that Jesus will help us. And the head said, what a great idea. You can start tomorrow. She wasn't putting herself in the frame, but she did. And then that filtered through the whole school. It's a small primary school, one form intake. And the, that phrase has become a catchphrase. Tomorrow's a new day or today is a new day, you know. And so she does that. She's they do Wednesday worship in her class where she teaches them about Jesus and they sing songs and teaches the kids to pray. So little five-year-olds have learnt to pray spontaneously in school gatherings. So 
So she, she, and she, she prays for staff members, she prays for kids, she, you know, the kids who are bereaved, bless them, she helps them. But it's for Jesus, completely yeah. unqualified. She's got no qualification, to, uh, formal qualification at all. None, she hasn't got an O-level, she hasn't got a GCSE, she hasn't got a certificate for swimming the width, but she can proclaim Jesus in that context. I want to get her there as well in October. Oh, that's amazing. That's the um, ordinary unschooled men, but they could tell they'd been with Jesus, isn't it? Oh, I mean, that, so many of us feel that ordinary unschooledness. And we think, oh, I can't do it because I don't know this. I haven't written a book. I don't know. I don't know my Bible well enough. You think, wow, you've been with Jesus. <laughs> oh, Paul, it's such a, a treat to spend this time talking with you and hearing your heart. Is there anything on your heart and mind you want to just leave us with before we before we wrap up? Take every opportunity. Get get in places. Just, just by being, you don't have to be pushy. You don't have to be. Larry, but make friends with people. I mean, that's how, going right back to the beginning, that's how I got a small part in a, in a good little film because I was friends with the guy who wrote it. I got to know him for a mutual friend and was at a party with him and he said, I've written this part for a South London vicar. I think you'll be perfect. I mean, who knew? So that came about. I opened the door for, for an air, you know, another group of people where you can chat to and they know you're a Christian and... They know to come to. So be kind, be friendly, and love Jesus. Oh, oh man, what a beautiful way to leave things. And uh, we'll, we'll put description and information about the conference that's coming up October the 14th. Uh, on evangelism something that we all could do with a lot of encouragement and uh, sounds like you've got some great people lined up to provide just that 